Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, babes? Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to once again be joined by Isabel Kershudian of the Washington Post. How are you doing, Isabel? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Maybe well, the last time. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll try not to dwell on the sadness. <laughs> try not to dwell too much on the sadness and and fortunately i mean we've got some pretty great news to like talk about in addition to kind of your new assignment but the uh nationals just won the world series last night we are recording this on halloween and um in addition to kind of that amazing thing you got to have some of the best barbecue in the united states so before we get to talking about the caps and nationals uh patrick holden is insistent that i ask you what do you think of the barbecue that you had in that picture the other day yeah, it was from Pinkerton's. I went with my um, one of my best friends lives in Houston, Sarah Barshop. She actually covers the Texans for ESPN. Um, so I met her, her husband. Um, they were like, oh, let's go to Pinkerton's. I was like, I haven't been there. They've taken me to a few spots at this point. I think that might have been the best. The brisket, I'm a very much like a pulled pork roll because that's like what we do in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but that brisket was incredible. So, yeah, I was a big fan. So, Pat, if you're listening, it's Pinkerton's in Houston. <laughs> I would say brisket has been a, a real revelation for me since since moving down to Texas. But, you know, in addition to getting great eats, you got to watch the Nationals kind of complete their improbable journey uh, to become World Series champions. And I guess I wanted to, you know, you're like in the unique position of having kind of covered the Capitals through their whole run, covered the Nationals here down the stretch. Um, and, you know, it seems like everyone's asking about the similarities between these two teams, and um, you're in a great position to kind of let us know what you think about the two teams, whether there really are any similarities there or whether we're just looking for something where maybe it's not really there. Yeah, I think with the caveat with these obviously two totally different sports, so like all the similarities are going to be kind of more in the narrative side of things. Um, you know, I, I see it with kind of a team that uh, maybe had a rough start. I mean, I don't think the Caps are ever in as dire of a situation as the Nationals were. Um, 
the Caps had their bumps, but they weren't ever like, you know, 0.1% to make the playoffs. So they always looked like they were in a decent spot, right? Yep. Um, uh, but, like, you know, a coach, or in this case a manager, that looked like he was going to get fired, like, in the middle of the season, but then didn't. Um, you know, you've got a team that could never, like, really get over the hump. Like, that's obviously a similarity for a lot of D.C. teams. But, um, you know, uh, getting some young talent, and I think of Juan Soto in the same way I think of, like, a Kuznetsov or Marana. Um, yeah, just all of those, you know, some, like, prominent free agents. Um, you know, this, like, a window and just the Carlson. I don't know, like, um, that's kind of how I saw it. It was, like, a team that had to go through a lot of adversity um, and that made it better. And it was a team that also had a lot of fun. And the point that of the Capitol during that round, like, that's what sticks out to me is that, they were, A, like, a lot looser than they had been in other postseason runs. They were having fun. They didn't have a lot to lose at that point, and a lot of people counted them out. And I think that's really what resonates with me that is maybe similar with the Nationals. Yeah, it was interesting kind of as a team that had kind of that uh, kind of choker label that the Capitals had to live with all those years, and the Nationals had kind of had a label to them with those um, kind of elimination collapses. And then this time around... They win the most elimination games, I believe, in uh, MLB history on, on their way to a championship. So quite yeah, a role hi. reversal. Yeah, uh, I mean, d- d- just unbelievable stuff. Um, you, you know, do you think, what do you think about the kind of the relationship the Caps and Nationals players seem to have? Is that just a product of kind of Ted Leonsis and, and the learners and how close they are? Or, or is this just uh, two teams that feel like they've gone through similar experiences? Yeah, I don't know what it is, uh, because, like, Leontes owns both the Wizards and the Caps, and I don't think both two teams are as close, you know? Um, I don't know, I think there's, I think a lot of, you know, guys who play hockey are just, like, kind of baseball fans. Like, I know, um, you know, Holtby is, like, a big baseball fan from, like, growing up. I remember the Kirk, like, I think baseball was actually, like, his first love. Um you know, so I think there's, like, a natural sort of bond there. I think, like, really it started going with, and this is a credit to Davey, maybe more than anyone else, but for me, like, it was when the Caps, you know, were going through their cup run, how all in Davey and the Nats were on the Caps. Um, so you think about, like, you know, being a fan, right? Like, someone who lives in D.C. and just, like, roots to the teams, but you don't really know those guys personally, right? Mm-hmm. I think for the past, like, the reason it was so big is that, like, they have gotten to know those guys. Like, those guys are, in some cases, like, kind of good friends. Like, I know uh, Blaine Forsyth, the assistant coach, is actually, like, good friends with Adam Eaton because they're wives are friends, and um, they were set up on a couple of bad days. Um, so, you know, I, I think Davey really wanted, like, the positive vibes kind of aspect of them. So, you know, that was his first year um, when the Caps went on to win the Cup. And, um, you know, the Nats were just really, really supportive. And I think the Caps, they felt, they obviously really appreciated, but they also felt like some responsibility to show the same support back. But also that whole experience probably made all these guys kind of get to know each other better. Um, and so I think with Ovechkin and Zimmerman, like why they know each other well is kind of obvious. They've been around for a while. Um, they probably run and like you know see each other around a decent amount. 
Um, I just hope they knew Bryce somewhat well, but I'm not, like, positive about that. Um, but in general, like, you know, I think Fairbend is just, like, a sort of bond of being, like, an athlete in D.C. Um, and, yeah, it's just mine to kind of show the love back, I think, more than anything else. It's it's really been uh, quite the journey, and um, you know you chronicled the Capitals' journey journey in all of 2018, and ended up kind of winning the Red Fisher Award for kind of being the best one of the best writers, if not the best writer, obviously, uh, in kind of following hockey. Um, and Isabel, I got to ask for such a highly um, accoladed um, writer, what is your favorite piece that you worked on over your time covering the Capitals? Slack, we were talking about kind of our favorite pieces that you had written, and, and Alex Irvin picked that one out as her as her favorite. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah def, definitely resonated with a lot of people, and it was interesting to kind of get the backstory of a guy who, um, as you said, just doesn't seem to quite open up as much as you know Ovechkin, who's always always living kind of uh, on the kind of forefront. Um, but even still, you kind what of got the other ones you guys picked. Um, Wait, who are the other ones you guys think? We, oh, talked, ab- we talked about Ovechkin's um, museum. The, that was the, when yep. you, uh, It was really interesting. Uh, the sheep came up a little bit. Because um, mm-hmm. there was a couple articles where you wrote about that, including like the retrospective about it a few years later, which uh, I think was just interesting because it was a bit more of like a personal insight because you also told your story of it being your first day on the job. Um, so it gave the reader some insight into kind of how you felt at the time in addition to kind of the story as a whole. So it, it was really uh, great to get that perspective. Uh, I don't actually have everyone's full list in front of me, but we were, we, you know, it was, uh, we're all going to miss okay. having you on the beat. So, um, I'm sorry, I said Reed Fisher. I'm going to say Red Fisher earlier. That's my bad. Uh, my own handwriting is <laughs> very good. Uh, um, so speaking of things we're talking about on Slack, JP wants to know if um, there's any anyone or anything you'd like to shit talk about now that you are leaving the beat. Oh, man. Um, such a loaded question. No, I think I'm good. I'm kind of, you know, pass on the shit Um like, he and I do that enough in our DMs, and he knows what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I had, like, a really 
honestly, like, I wrote on Twitter that it was the best four years of my life, and uh, I meant it. Like, it was, you know, to get to travel as much as I did, to make the friendships that I did, I think that's probably number one with, you know, just, like, other hockey reporters. I, you know, I've covered other leagues and other sports, and, you know, I really haven't seen, like, the camaraderie that um, NHL writers have with one another, and it was really special. Like, you know, some of those people are not some of my closest friends. Um, just how welcoming everybody was, including the fan base. Um, and obviously getting to cover a really interesting team um, at an interesting time. And, you know, I, I didn't have a bad experience with really any of the players on any of those teams in, you know, the four years. So, yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I'm like someone who should talk on the way out. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, tell me, he, I'm assuming he's going to listen to this, but he can DM me to get my real thoughts on anything specific. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. you got to, you got to reach out to, to Isabel directly to get, to get, the, to get the skinny on everything. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I did want to circle back a bit more about kind of, kind of chronicling the Capitals journey. And, and obviously like, so many of your articles are, are hanging up on people's walls and, um, you know, in the book that the Washington Post put out covering uh, the Stanley Cup run. Um, is there anything about that run specifically that stands out to you of, of kind of like the deepest insight or, or what your favorite part was of covering the run itself? Uh, obviously, we already talked a bit about the aftermath and all the great pieces you wrote on your trips to Europe, but um, about the run itself, what stands out to you the most? Um, yeah, that's a hard one. Because it feels like it was all just like one big blur, I know. <laughs> kind of individual increments. But yeah. You know, I, you know. I guess I like I'll remember stuff like the hot lap and kind of the goofy things that happened, right? Because I think that defined that team as much as anything else. You know, the Mario Kart, um, Ovechkin guaranteeing like a series win after they were down O two against Columbus. Um. You know, there was just so many different things. You know, them winning that game six without Batstrom, Wilson, mm-hmm. and Burakovsky. Um, it was stuff like that. You know, you don't, you don't remember the moments where everything was going right. You remember the moments where they sort of prevailed with everything going wrong. And I think that's what separated that team is that maybe in years past, you know, things or whatever would go against them and they would sort of fold. And this team just sort of found a way, even when things were going against them. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's what I remember the most. Um, you know, the save. Uh, there's moments like that, but, um, yeah, the whole thing was just kind of a whirlwind. And it was a lot of fun. I think I hit a wall around, like, game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I remember I called my mother to um, come hang out with me in Tampa. She lives in South Florida. Um, I was like, I need my mommy because I was exhausted. Um, so yeah, I remember that. <laughs> How stressed I was, but um, I fortunately hit a second wind at some point. Uh, but yeah, there was, they were a fun group, but, and you could see maybe um, definitely not at the beginning. I think at the beginning there was some tension there, but you could definitely see at the end how much they really cared about one another and how close they were. 
Are, are there any kind of behind-the-scenes story? I mean, it's not not quite JP's shit-talking question, but is there anything, any stories that you wish you you would have written about, or anything that you um, thought about writing about, and then other stuff came up that that kind of didn't make its way to the post? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot. Um, I mean, some of it I've like passed along to Samantha Powell, the new beat writer, so she can do it. Um, but I always try to write like a. Um, smokeless tobacco in the NHL kind of big picture story Um, because I don't think, like, I think it's just as prominent as it is in baseball, but um, you know, you don't really see it because it's not like quite as out in the open. Um, But it's, you know, definitely, I think a lot of guys do it, but some of it's like more cultural, you know, where the Swedish guys have news, which is, um, you know, a lot of people do that over there. But it was it was a subject I found like you know pretty interesting that I definitely wanted to do. Um, oh, sorry, I never really got the right access to it. I wanted to like an eye tracking thing they do. Oh, yeah. um, I know Tom Wilson does it like before every game um, as like a mental warm up, um, and I love stuff like that. Um, you know, like sleep strategy and like very sports games usually. Um, so I really wanted to do that one. Um, yeah, there was a few different things. Um, but it was more like bigger picture chat stuff than like, you know, sort of an individual, I would say. Yeah. The, um, I was trying to think, I, I remember you wrote the kind of like the great, like there was stuff that Trotz used to always talk about. Vet. This is like all the stories I thought would have been really interesting, especially the smokeless tobacco one because you don't hear about that too much. Um, but mm-hmm. um, like all, there was a lot of stuff Trotz used to say about kind of um, Ovechkin and Backstrom being like a married couple. And you and I have talked about that on and off over the years about kind of their relationship. And um, as someone who's kind of been there and you know close to these players, you know day in and day out for most of the year like what has kind of been your take on, on kind of their their relationship and and kind of how two guys that have uh, struggled together won together and and how kind of the relationship has evolved um in, during your tenure yeah i would say i find how they are now like this year last year um i think this is the closest i've ever seen them mm-hmm. as far as like i think there was some tension there for a little bit and it's understandable you you know, you're sort of grouped together. You don't win. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit of blame for the other person creeps in. Um, you know, and I think Ovechkin would say he wasn't always playing exactly the right way. I think Backstrom would say that maybe he wasn't always quite doing his part either. I think there's blame for yourself and then, like, it gets in your head a little bit where it's like, you know, you start to resent the other person a little bit because you're trying to do this together. Um, and it does always fall on their shoulders. Um, but, you know, I, I think Ovechkin becoming a father and maybe being really able to relate to Ovechkin on that level, like, I think this year, I, I don't think I've ever seen a closer. Um, just sort of how they're interacting with each other. You know, like, you see them, like, how they are to each other even in interviews or um stuff like that like i think there's sort of a new appreciation and i don't know if it's like getting older and realizing like i don't know what they did together and stuff like that but um it's been pretty cool to see i think 
their relationship has sort of hit a new chapter in a weird way. Maybe that's the story I should tell Sandra, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just pretty. It's just pretty cool um, to, to kind of see how those two guys have kind of grown up together, and um, it's just. I've always found it to be an interesting part of the team. Um, yeah, so- and I would say, like, it was never really fair to assume that they would be best friends just yeah. because they have a good, like, partnership on the ice. You know what I mean? Yep. I just think, like, there was kind of, like, something people always, like, wanted to force upon them. But, <laughs> um, you know, friendship, like, it was just, like, it either happens or it doesn't. Um, and I think for a while they were close. You know, maybe, like, when he actually met kids, he got a little... Um, he was in a different place in his life than Ovechkin. And, you know, maybe then, like, a lot of the losing took a toll, um, losing the postseason, rather. But I think now maybe they're both kind of in the same place. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's always been a little unfair to just assume those guys would be, like, buddies. Because if you think about it, personality-wise, they're pretty different. Yeah. Um, so I think they've always had, like, a, a good like mutual respect for one another and had a good relationship. But I don't know that they were always like best, best friends. You know, I think it's had its ups and flows. Yeah. It's, it's certainly interesting. You kind of think about the strain that was kind of put on their relationship and and you're right. People definitely project um, kind of a desire for the two to, to take that on ice chemistry and for it to exist off ice as well. Um, But uh, Isabel, are there any other like kind of, tidbits that, that, that kind of stand out to you about your tenure in addition to the, I mean, you talked about the stories you, you kind of wish you had had time to write or that you've passed on to Samantha, who uh, you're saying, is, is, I mean, everyone's early returns are that her work's been very good so far. Um, obviously, yeah, obviously big shoes to fill, but is, is there any like other like kind of little stories that didn't, wouldn't quite be enough to be in, in an article, but just uh, little moments that stand out to you? Um, not at the moment. I think I've told this story before, but um, something I'll always cherish. It was my kind of first year on the beat, how Barry Trotz kind of, I remember he took like two hours one day to like run through like those systems with me, or like a pre-skate uh, before the game uh, to try and teach me hockey. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm just someone like, being so generous with their time and the interest of kind of making me better so I could cover them better. Um, yeah, I, I didn't tell a lot of people that story until after he left because uh, it's been a long time to get him. But, um, yeah, even I saw him recently because um, I covered that game. Um, I guess, yeah, it was the second game of the season. And, um, yeah, I told him about Moscow at that point and he was pretty happy for me and, was, like, showing me photos from, um, like, when he was in Russia and, like, the Metro tour that he did. The Russian Metro system is, like, really beautiful. I'm, like, confused. But um, it was pretty, like, yeah, it's more of the, you know, personal relationships that you make with people, whether it's, you know, fans. There was a, you know, Tom Timmerman. That's not the right name. But Tom. <laughs> um for most of my time in the beat, like, you know, he was awesome. Um, and, you know, we would talk, like, before every game or, you know, other media people or, um, yeah, just people around the league, uh, players, whatever. Um, 
that that's the stuff I think you remember more than, you know, even game five of the Stanley Cup final. I think you remember kind of the people and the bonds you made, um, at least in my case. Yeah, no, of course. That's, um, that's great. Um, Isabel, I mean, when I think about kind of, you know, everyone's, you've obviously had a passion for Russia. You did, you did a great piece back in February of 2018 about kind of the Me Too movement in Russia and why it hadn't happened yet. And now, obviously, you're moving on to your great next step of being the Moscow correspondent for the Washington Post. So what are you able to tell us about that and uh, what we can kind of continue to see you put out in the future? Yeah, it'll hopefully be you know, a story similar to that one. Um, you know, it's kind of the goal of any foreign correspondent is to write stories about, like, sort of your posting that American readers will be interested in. Um, so that might mean, obviously, like, you know, the news of the day. Um, you know, Ukraine is part of, you know, the Moscow Bureau's coverage area. Um, so Ukraine's obviously been really relevant. Maybe it's something having to do with that. Uh, maybe it's something a little bit more human interesty. That's a good story. Um, you know, I, I was reading the story in Russia today about um, the first, like, hired hit, you know, killing... Um, that was like done through the dark web. And I was like, that's so cool. Uh, not cool that like, kind of that way, but like, it's a cool story. You know, it's like a murder yes. mystery story. You can see this. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there'll be a lot of that. It'll be very varied. It would literally be like someone saying, okay, you're coming to the United States. You're going to be our yeah. United States correspondent. It's like, well, there's, you know, um, a lot of different uh, things in the United States. There's politics, there's sports, there's pop culture, you know, it's, so, you know, like, maybe, um, I imagine if, like, more news comes out about Russia and, you know, sports doping, um, that would probably kind of fall on me since I'm supposed to be the sports person, um, but, you know, it's going to be, I'm really excited because it's a very unknown thing for me, um, I think sports is a very, like, good comfort zone for me for a long time and I'm definitely going out of it now um which is terrifying but also really exciting yeah I mean I can only imagine um so what led you to kind of wanting to do the foreign correspondent job is it just uh was Moscow always was the Russian beat always one that you wanted to get your uh, feet on yeah I you know I think that one made a lot of sense because I can speak Russian. Yeah. Um, but I would have taken literally any foreign job. Um, but I, I think, you know, I I never thought it was possible that I would get a job like this and I got to the post and, um, I don't know, like there was some conversation about like maybe that would be a good fit for me down the road. And that was like four years ago and I like really just kind of got my – I don't know, like, that's, I latched onto the idea of, you know, I want, I really want to do it. I love adventure. I love um, kind of high leverage assignments like that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's why I enjoyed covering the Stanley Cup run so much, is I like it when the stakes are high. And, um, you know, the coverage, I like stories where, you know, you're, really revealing something new to someone. And I think with sports, the challenge is that a lot of times you're writing about a game people have already seen, 
so we're trying to give them something like insightful or deeper about something they've already witnessed. I think what's foreign, what's cool is that a lot of times you're revealing something or you know, about a place or a subject that, you know, they don't know about and they might never see because it's in some third part of the world. Um, so I don't know. I appreciate that aspect of it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pumped. <laughs> it's hard to... Like, it was the cool part about, like, announcing on Twitter was, like, how many people reached out to be, like, oh, I remember I was having a drink, like, three years ago, and you're yeah. saying, like, one day I'd like to be a foreign correspondent. Um, because it really has been, like, that long that um, I've sort of had my eye on this sort of thing. Well, I mean, you, you certainly have had a very successful run um, kind of on the sports beat here in the States, and uh, you're on the great things. Um, and, and I know that myself and, and all of our other kind of Japers Rink family and uh, really all Caps fans are really excited to continue to see your stuff moving forward, Isabel. Um, you know, it, you've provided great insight, not like not shining away from analytics or, or you know, you've dived into everything. You know, you know, you were very receptive, you said, when Barry Trott showed you stuff and you went and like looked up all this stuff about analytics on your own. And I, up to that point, I don't think any of the other Caps beat writers had really done stuff like that. So I know... Um, it certainly grabbed me and grabbed others and, um, it, it's been, it's been great having you and, and you'll be missed. Oh, thank you. I, I'm going to miss everybody too. And I'm going to miss doing this podcast. You know, so like, I, I'm happy to come on for week one of the playoffs. If you, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's got a pretty good track record. So, um, right. I, you know, I, you know, you were kind of joking, but it's actually going to happen. I'm going to have to give you a call <laughs> and schedule some time, but Isabel, uh, thanks again. And, um, for old time's sake, uh, why, don't you, why don't you tell our, our listeners where, where they can find your work and uh, continue to follow you moving forward? Yeah, it's at Ikushudian, I-K-H-U-R-S-H-U-D-Y-A-N, and uh, WashingtonPost.com, not slash sports anymore. <laughs> I think I'm under the world tab now. But yeah, Russia stories start tomorrow, and Russia tweets start tomorrow, so if you're not wow. under that, uh, you might not want to follow <laughs> well i mean that that that, that that's going to be interesting for everybody and i don't know are, are you are you going to drop in on the ovechkins at any point just to uh say hello yeah maybe i mean if the cap's in the cup again and he brings the cup to russia no. you know you, you'll be there you might as well you know just kind of make a trip right. but isabel thanks again for coming on it's always been a blast and um you know i, I think you are our most tenured podcast guest over um the last like four years so um thanks again for kind of being so generous with your time yeah thanks for having me and you guys are gonna all love samantha pell it was awesome so you won't miss me in like a month (laughs) (laughs) i doubt that but thanks again isabel um on behalf of myself adam stringham thank you for listening to this episode of japers drink radio